Welcome to Bookish at Bethel. I'm Carrie Peffley in the Philosophy Department, and I'm joined by Henry Koistra in the History Department. And today our guest is Sam Mulberry from History, and he is going to be talking to us about Camus the Stranger and also a lot of other things existential. So Sam, students are reading Camus the Stranger this week. Uh, And for those listeners who will not be reading that, could you just tell us a little bit about what the book is about? Yeah. So it's a first person, uh, it's a first person novel. And what I really find interesting about Camus is that he's a philosopher and he clearly is a philosopher and, and, and we'll talk about that. But I remember the first time I read this, I read Camus. It wasn't when I read this, but the first time I read anything from him, it, I didn't know that philosophers could write fiction, that you could do philosophy by writing fiction. Uh, and that, that was a revelation to me. And it excited me because I apologize, Carrie, I would much rather read a novel than read a <laughs> philosophical essay. Although I've read Camus philosophical essays and they're great. They're just really hard to read. Right. Um, so, so what the, the, the narrative of the stranger, there's two parts. The first part, uh, and like I said, it's first person. Uh, it's, so it's this, uh, this character named uh, Merceau who um, it starts with the, the opening line of the book is uh, mama died today. Right. So it starts with the death of his mother and he goes to his mother's living in a home. So he goes to the home where his mother is. And it's this sort of awkward observations he's making. And he's very distanced from what's happening. Um, And uh, so so it's more like observational than feeling at all. Right. And he kind of wanders through the uh, the funeral, the uh, I guess the wake and the funeral. And then he comes back home. And, you know, he has these days off because he's in mourning. So he, he does a very Camus thing, which runs through every novel Camus writes. He goes swimming. Um, so swimming is a very important thing to Camus. Um, he uh, has a tryst with a woman. He goes to a comedy movie. You know, he, so he just kind of lives life. He interacts with his neighbors. Um, and this, and through interacting with one of his neighbors, uh, I'm, I'm jumping over big plot things here, but uh, he ends up almost randomly. And I remember the first time I read the book, not knowing what it was about uh, killing an Arab on the beach uh, in Algiers. And it's, I remember just being kind of stunned by that. Cause I was like this person whose head I've been in and I'm kind of, I'm kind of interested in him. All of a sudden he, for seemingly no reason kills this Arab on the beach. So that's the first half of the book. Then the second half is Merceau in uh in jail and on trial uh sort of and then and then in the end you know waiting his execution um and you know what's interesting about that trial is how much he's on trial for not weeping at his mother's death and like not be you know like like that he didn't have the right emotional responses to it and i think that's maybe where the the title the stranger comes from because you know i think when i first read it i assumed the stranger was the arab because he is this outsider but actually merceau is the stranger right he's a stranger in in his own in his own homeland he doesn't uh, know how to do the thing, or he either doesn't know or isn't willing to do the things you're supposed to do. Because even on trial, people are, the judges, the prosecutors are trying to get him off, but he refuses to kind of play ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, I mean, that's the, that's the story. Um, actually, I have a question for Carrie, because she had mentioned last, uh, I think two weeks ago when we talked about, about doing this, that this was uh, a book that you read in high school. Yes. In high school. And this is something that led you to want to be a philosopher. Tell me about that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 
so yeah, this is the first work of philosophy I ever read. It was in a world literature class my my junior year, I think spring of my junior year of high school. And I, I read it and I was so fascinated by Merceau's character. Um, and I, I saw elements of myself in him. Now, not which is probably why I was equally frightened when he killed the Arab, because I was seeing myself through his eyes and seeing some similarities. And so then I was like, oh, what the heck just happened there? That, that is out of character for me at least yeah it's, it's interesting you say that i mean it it it's because i felt the same way like there's something about him that's you know because he is sort of detached and, uh, and observational um it's almost as if like holden caulfield had killed somebody halfway through catcher in the rye and you're like wait a minute i was on board with you and now i don't know what to think mm-hmm. uh, which is clearly intentional from Camus as well yes yeah and so i think that that fascinated and frustrated me and so i remember thinking as a 17 year old I don't understand what just happened there. And I don't know that I agree with whatever his, what his conclusions were right at the end, which seems to be Merceau is embracing meaninglessness, embracing the void. I don't know that I agree with this, but I also am not sure about it. And I'm so fascinated and frustrated by it that I just thought this, I want to, I want to keep thinking about these ideas so where did that lead you then? I mean, it led you to eventually you major in philosophy, get a PhD in philosophy, but like mm-hmm. it kind of the immediately, where does it lead you? Because the book doesn't, the, I, to me, Camus is, I love Camus in part because he's, uh, I find him to be very oddly hopeful in, mm-hmm. in a kind of way, uh, which you wouldn't expect. Uh, this book doesn't, wouldn't necessarily lead you in that direction. Yes. Uh, my introduction to Camus was reading The Plague. So I'm very much a like Plague Camus fan. Um, I, I love his other books, but that's the one that I keep circling back to. That's my paradigm for hope. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm curious, like, where do you go after reading The Stranger as a 17-year-old? Yeah. Well, I went, strangely enough, to Plato's Apology. <laughs> That was the next work of philosophy that I read, um, which I I guess in some ways is super strange to start with Camus' The Stranger and then jump to Plato's Apology. But it was in certain ways it continued this theme that I was seeing of examining things, of asking hard questions, of wrestling with ideas, right? Getting this, right? The character Socrates saying the unexamined life isn't worth living and um, wisdom is admitting that you don't know. And I think I always felt, this would have been my senior year, I suppose, of high school by that point. I always felt like I knew a lot. I was getting good grades, but I always felt very not confident and mm-hmm. not certain about what I what I believed. And I grew up in a community where we were very certain about our faith. We were very certain about our beliefs. And so I think maybe what compelled me about philosophy is this idea that maybe I'm not so certain Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe I should be questioning things and maybe questioning things isn't just embracing the void, but it's mm-hmm. actually embracing epistemic humility and moving toward cognitive virtue as Socrates puts it. Um, and so then I just decided, oh, I can major in this. And so it was like, that was around the time that I was starting to look at colleges and thought, oh, I can do this. So, so we both talked about being drawn to Merceau pre-murder, right? Yeah. There's something about him where, uh, 
he's a kind of mirror maybe you know it's like oh yeah i can see i can see myself or i can see i mean it's interesting the last time i was on this podcast we talked about augustine and i think about augustine as somebody when like when i read confessions i am like oh i i know what it feels like to think those things to feel those things merceau has elements of that how do you feel post-murder so merceau in jail sort of the observations the things he's uh, kind of coming to learn or coming to experience there? How do you read the second half of the book? Yeah. Um, and I really, you know, I think that's a, a great question because it's in that second half of the book where I think Camus challenges or, or struggles through what we see in part two is the struggle through, do we go in the absurdist direction and say that there is no meaning, there is no point and we embrace the void or is there meaning to be made there? And I think part two is really a struggle. And I think Merceau maybe goes an absurdist direction, but Camus himself, I think, isn't comfortable with that. And so maybe part of the way I've, I've read this is that part one, up until that sort of murder, is we could potentially see Merceau and Camus as connected. And then in part two, we see a potential divergence and two paths that we could go with this. There, there could be redemption. Um, where, where do you see evidence for the redemption interpretation? Well, well, so I think there are opportunities for redemption offered. So as, as Sam talked about, we've got, you know, the judge, the, you know, various people yeah. just saying, the priest saying, hey, can't you just believe in God? Like play along with the theism that, that, that may get you out of this. Can you at least pretend to have emotion? Um, so but that think, seems like false redemption, though. Yes, yes. And I think the character of Merceau ends up saying, no, this is this is all false. There is no and the way that I'm being offered to make meaning. I want to reject that. Um, but he's too constricted by the situation he's gotten himself into um, to really have pure redemption. Um, and I feel yeah. like have we talked about in the past, too, that part of what's going on in the book in general is that Merceau is very present and is very in tune with, um, in some ways, uh, his senses, even if he isn't necessarily in tune with his emotions? Or am I just making that up? I think we may have talked about that in the past. Well, and certainly, yeah, I mean, one of the things that, I mean, he's, he's really, really sincere. He mm -hmm. says what he thinks. He can't help what he's feeling or not feeling. And so I think... It, what we see in part two is also society trying to push him into be being, you know, um, fulfilling all of these norms, playing the rules correctly, but he wants to be honest and sincere and true to himself. And the truth is he doesn't know why he killed the Arab other than that the sun was in his eyes. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and I think we can see that in the, the relationship with Marie too. Like mm -hmm. she's constantly saying, well, do you love me? And he says, no, yes. will you marry me? Sure. sure. Like, you know, it's, and, 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 you know, and I think that she presents a different um, sort of uh, hope for him of this life, life beyond this. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I mean, I, to me, to me, in order to find hope in Camus, like I need, I need to read a different book. <laughs> like I need to read the plague because the, to me, the, the, the plague, you have another set of characters who are, um, who are encountering the impossible, encountering the absurd. The, I mean, the plague sort of sweeps through and it doesn't really discriminate in terms of who it kills. And, and you have 
multiple characters in there realizing there's nothing we can do about this. But unlike Merceau, they're characters who insist on acting, insist mm-hmm. on like, we need to do, we need to fight this, even though we can't fight it. Where I, I think if Merceau had been in Oran in the plague, I think he just sort of embraces either I die or I don't. And, and but I don't think he becomes a person of action. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I actually think that, you know, the, there's a line at the beginning, I think when, um, when Ramon, not in the beginning, but in the first half, when Ramon gives him the gun and it's, it, I assume this is the first time he's ever held a gun because he's mm-hmm. holding it and he says, Oh, it occurred to me then you can either shoot or not shoot. And right. it's just like, it's like neither matter. Um, or, or when they're walking from the, they're walking to the funeral and the nurse tells him like, if you, uh, if you walk slowly, you'll die of heat stroke. Uh, but if you go fast, you'll sweat mm-hmm. and then you get to the church and you'll die of chills. And it's just like, whatever you do, you know, but, but, but I think some of the, I think some of the characters in, like I said, in the plague are more interested in saying, I mean, that, this is why that provides a paradigm for hope is that that's about like, how do we battle against the absurd mm-hmm. rather than just have it wash over us. And that I think to my mind seems to fit, uh, Camus argument about how we live life a little bit. Yes. Yes. And I think that's why I, maybe that's why I'm so fascinated by the stranger because having read, I think, and I think you're right, the plague, um, which I read for the first time in college and then myth of Sisyphus, which I've read um, a few times um, you get a, a different perspective. And so the stranger is him dealing with the absurd so much more viscerally um, and, and ultimately having a character who just succumbs, but seems okay with it, right? Mm-hmm. He considers himself, but it, it's just so different from say the plague or the myth of Sisyphus where you have, right? In the myth of Sisyphus, Sisyphus looks back, right? And all he does is push this darn rock up this mountain and over and over again, but he looks down and, and Camus describes him as he looks back on his life and he considers himself happy. The struggle has been worth it. He has made meaning. He has done something. Um, and you just don't get that in The Stranger. Right. And, 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 and the, I've actually, oddly, I've read, I was going through his, uh, his bibliography and I've read all of his novels, including uh, A Happy Death. Have you ever read that, Carrie? I haven't. It's really interesting. If you're a fan of The Stranger, it's really interesting because he, this is something he writes in the late 30s I think so it's before the stranger and I don't but I don't think he it gets published till maybe after he dies and the first half of the book is kind of the first half of the stranger there's literally like there's I know there's a it's been probably two decades since I've read it so I could be totally making up what I'm saying but um, (laughs) but this actually is really interesting to think about both in terms of writing process and maybe even Camus philosophy like the first half of the of a happy death is largely the the first half of the stranger scenes are the same the scene where where Merceau goes out onto his um balcony and sort of watches the street scene i think that is word for word in a happy death wow. now the wow. book goes in a different direction which actually is philosophically interesting to be like it's and i think the characters even name Merce, something Merceau uh, in that as well and i think it's again i could be wrong but i think um you could look at it to say like you could start this same story and Merceau's life could go differently that is awesome. I'm going to have to read that over the weekend or try to find it over the weekend. Cause that yeah. would be amazing. If he's in, in the happy death, he explored this particular direction. And then in the stranger explores the absurdist direction instead. 
Well, yeah. And like I said, it's, it was the nineties when I read it. So either I, I easily could have just told you something that's totally false, but that's my <laughs> can, memory of having yeah. read it. We, that can there's definitely do, um, we can have Jenna do fact checking. <laughs> that's <laughs> right. So I want to be upfront about that. Um, so anyhow, I've never read the myth of Sisyphus though, like that, which is one of the like canonical things to, from Camus to read. Um, but I have read The Rebel. That was that was a book that I had to fight hard through because that's mm-hmm. uh, it's a pretty long book. It's uh, it's philosophy, like it's not a novel. But I, I committed to. I think I tried to read it three times, and the third time I finally made it through. But what I, what's interesting about that, in terms of thinking about this hopefulness, is in The Rebel. Um, it's like I, my sense is that the myth of Sisyphus is kind of asking the question, I think like, why don't we just kill ourselves? Like, like why do we continue? Right. Yeah. And the rebel is asking kind of, why don't we just kill each other? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and, and he's making this argument for this sort of also rebellion is this collective thing. So he, you know, he kind of talks about uh, especially uh, like uh Soviet Marxism as like this false rebellion because it's pushing off the we are uh, tell later. It's I rebel because we will be. And he says, no, it needs to be I rebel because we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was uh, so. So again, like like and even if you look at his life, like he during the during Nazi occupation, he is writing for the French resistance, uh, writing for combat, uh, the newspaper, the French resistance. And then afterwards, he's really wrestling with like, how do we how do we deal with now that that France is liberated, but how do we deal with what we've done? How do we deal with what the Germans have done? How do we, um, how do we live a life where we're neither victims nor executioners? Mm-hmm. I think that's a, the title of one of his essays in combat. Right. And I, I just find, I find those questions as like these core 20th century questions. That's what I was just going to say. I just feel like Camus is such a great, like I like a lot of the existentialists, but I think Camus specifically is such an interesting conversation partner with the in, in the conversations that are happening um, at this point, trying to figure out how do we make meaning out of what has what has happened and what is happening. So I actually have a question because I, I I'm not uh, I'm not a philosopher. I've not read a lot of 20th century philosophy. Camus seems very, from I mean, based on what you just said and what we're talking about, like very rooted in living philosophy out is that your impression from a lot of 20th century philosophers or yeah yeah or at least a good a good chunk of them it's a great question i will talk about it in part of my lectures um, that the students will be listening to next week um but yeah one one of the ways that that you see philosophy kind of taking a turn is into more pragmatic philosophy number one even theoretically pragmatic but then also much more activist um, so there becomes this kind of activist strain, whether it's in, say, African-American philosophy, um, the pragmatist philosophers like John Dewey are very involved in educational reform, um, and then feminist philosophy as well, taking on this kind of activist strain. Um, so I think, I mean, you do have, there are outliers. So you also have the 20th century analytic tradition, which retreats into certainty and logical positivism. Um, but I think in general, Camus fits better with the way that that philosophy goes, certainly the way continental philosophy goes um, in the 20th century toward this activist doing something, um, which I think Marx had Marx had said as well, that that philosophy is life. It's about living. It's about doing. It's about action. 
So I actually I have another question for you, Carrie, as a fan of the stranger and as somebody who teaches, uh, I know you teach medie- medieval Islamic philosophy. So, I mean, you are, you have, uh, you have your feet in the Islamic world. Um, uh, how do you feel about the sort of real otherness of the Arab? Um, and have you read the novel, the Merceau investigation from 2015? No, but I want to come back to that and find out about it. In response to your first question, it's really interesting. So this morning in my history of philosophy class, I actually was teaching a philosophical novel from the medieval Arabic world. Um, so it's called Hai Ibn Yaksan. Yes, I was. Um, and so my students were all like, oh, this is so great because Sam, very much like you, and these are all philosophy majors in this class. But if you spent all semester reading Plato and Aristotle and you know all of these philosophical treatises, and then suddenly you get this, it's the, a medieval epic Robinson Crusoe tale. Um, and, uh, and so we were talking about that today. Um, but yeah, certainly, and it, actually the, the character or the, the author of that particular novel ends up living in Morocco. So also part of North Africa um, at this particular, or you know, much earlier. Um, so the, the othering of the Arab is, I think, really, really significant um, as you also talk an- about another theme of what's going on in the 20th century, which is really reckoning with the colonial past um, and Camus who grew up um, and, and was an activist for, um, for um, Algerian freedom and, and uh, for North African autonomy. Um, you see, I think, a, a really important part of an oppressed people group that this guy ends up just becoming kind of a, a prop um, in this particular and in, in the rest of what's going on. Um, so I think it's a fascinating just sort of side note <laughs> on what's going on. Well, let me tell you about a book that you should read before you yeah. read The Happy Death. Uh, and it's called The Merceau Investigations. This is a 2015 book uh, by Kamel, uh, Kamel Dowd. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm giving Jenna things to put in the blog here. Yeah. Um, so it is a uh, a novel that is um, written, or, or the the narrator is the brother of the Arab, now much older, and he's and it's basically it's so it's post colonial, and and I mean the the one of the big themes is that. Uh, he treats the stranger as if Merceau is a real person. So like, he doesn't talk about Camus, but he talks about this famous book that gets written by this guy. And, um, and one of the big themes is that my brother had a name, mm. but he's, he, he's the, he's the unnamed character here. And so mm-hmm. it's like, let me explain who this is. And it's a lot about colonial post-colonial Algeria. Wow. And it ends up also becoming a doubling of the stranger uh, in ways that I won't, um, I won't spoil because it was a good read. So I, I read that this week uh, in preparation for this. Uh, but if you're a fan of the stranger and you're a fan of thinking about the Arab and post-colonial, it's real good. It's, yes. It's oh, that's, that's fantastic. We need to have you on the show more often, Sam, because you do so much research and preparation for this. Um, you get mad props for that. <laughs> also, yeah, I definitely, definitely need to read that. And I, you know, again, I think that's another way in which he, he's a great, conversation partner for the 20th century, as a lot of our conversations, even going back to Freud, have been about what, you know, in-group, out-group. We don't see differences amongst, you know, the out-group. We see diversity in our own groups, but we we don't even name the other. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what does that say about us? 
Speaking of conversation partners, um, another book that I didn't finish this week, I, I, I tried to, re- I read The Fall this week too, just because I hadn't read that in a long time, but I started rereading another book that I've always thought is a great uh, uh, pairing with The Stranger, a great conversation piece. So I, I got about halfway through Crime and Punishment this week oh, because to me, yes. those two books are, I know that Camus is a huge Dostoevsky fan. And I remember uh, having read the Stranger, and then re- reading Crime and Punishment. I remember talking with uh, with John Linton. I think it was John Linton at the Oregon Extension um, about how I, I, I someday I, I hope somebody. Well, I don't know if I said I should or somebody should write a paper about this. And I'm sure somebody has. I'm sure that this is a very obvious thing. But um, but it's I, I love this idea of both of them. You know, it's stories about these people who who early on commit a murder that doesn't entirely make sense and then it's about what does that do to a person mm-hmm. um, and they're very different stories but i'm i'm sure I, I assume that the stranger is in part this is camus version of crime and punishment mm-hmm. yes and i i should i would be remiss to to leave out that i also read crime and punishment around the same time i was reading plato's apology um, and so I, I think that also sort of, I had a great high school English program. It sounds like it. I know, I, I, I was I, thinking, hmm, I'm a little <laughs> left out here because I got to crime and punishment in college, uh, you know, so good for you guys. But I, I did enjoy crime and punishment. Yes. Yeah. So a, a shout out to Madison High School in Mansfield, Ohio, for giving me really, really good um, reading stuff as a 17 year old. Yeah, no, I think the the comparison between Merceau and Raskolnikov um, is, is really, really quite striking. And so reading those at the same time and thinking about why does a person do something like this? And then what does that do to a person once they have, how do they cope with whatever this thing is? Um, right. I mean, because it's the, what I love is the, the effect of like, once the deed is done, like there are things, there are bells you can't unring. I love the line in the stranger uh, after he shoots four more times. And he says it was like knocking four times on the door of unhappiness or something. And I was mm-hmm. like, that's a killer line. Yes. Yes. This is a side note, but I did not know prior to this conversation that Camus was a fan of Dostoevsky. And I'm of course just thinking I can see similarities in terms of the themes, but like writing style, Holy cow. Um, they couldn't be more different because Mr. Dostoevsky is just such a little rambler. Mm-hmm. Let's get as many pages out there as possible. And Camus style is so spare. Yeah. Well, he, he tried to write the first half of the book sort of in like a Hemingway style. Like that was his idea with the stranger. And it shifts a little, according to the, the translator, uh, the version I already said, it, it shifts as you get to the second half. And that's a little bit more Camus writing like Camus would. But the first half, he's, he's going out of his way to sound like, like a Hemingway. You know, it's a lot of really short, short sentences. Mm-hmm. Oh, How's yeah. that feel? Wow. But it's, so, it's so different to, so, you know, I read it when I was 17 and then I, it, I had read a ton of other Camus sort of in the, in the intermediate before I started teaching. And then the first time I came back to and revisited The Stranger was when I taught it for the first time in Humanities. And it was just amazing to revisit it you know, essentially 10, 12 years later. Um, And I remember having a conversation with my students the first time I did that, um, where as they were talking about how incredibly distressing the proposal scene was between Marie and Merceau, that I ended up just blurting out, it just came out, 
that's kind of how my partner and I ended up talking about getting married. And my students were like, what? How did that? You really are like Merceau. Um, but it was just sort of a, do you want to get married? Sure. Why not? That was essentially what we, the, the conversation. All right. This is a or maybe I'm very French and succinct as well in my personality. It's also very John Wayne-ish because mm-hmm. in Stagecoach, uh, he basically says to Dallas, I got a ranch. You want to join me? <laughs> So I'm just saying, maybe there's a, a theme there too. Mm-hmm. Merceau is like a French cowboy. I don't know. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see here. What what else do we need to make sure we discuss here? Well, I want to know. So Sam, you've done so much reading on, um, on uh, Camus and existentialism and stuff this week. Anything else that you've sort of read or tapped into this past week of note? Uh, those were the big things. I, and I was telling Anne Marie, I love being on this show and, and listening to this show because it like it plants seeds for, for reading. So I'm kind of a, a binge reader. Like I'll go a few weeks. And if you, if you had asked me two weeks ago, what are you reading? I would have stumbled around saying, well, I don't, I'm kind of, I don't really know. And then this week I, cause I was preparing for this. I just dove in and said, okay, I'm going to just start grabbing things, uh, grabbing things to read. So I think, um, I think I'm excited to finish Crime and Punishment because uh, I, I again all of these things that I'm reading I haven't read since the 90s. So I was somebody who I didn't have your experience, Carrie, of high school where I uh, I don't I, I I don't know why nobody put good books in front of me, but I got to college and um, and I uh, talked to would met other people here and I realized how well read people were. So every summer I would every school year, I would just make lists of books that mm-hmm. people talked about in class. And then in the summer, I would try to catch up. So actually, I have uh, this circling back to Camus. So I read The Plague my freshman year in a Paul Reisner course. Um, but my first semester of college, I was in CWC and Greg Boyd was lecturing. And I remember him distinctly telling this story about how every year he takes a week off and goes hiking or something or goes mountain climb. I don't know, something like that. And he says what he does is he he does that and reads Albert Camus' The Fall. Um, so this is back in 1995. He said this, um, and I remember I, I probably if I could fi- I could pull in my the file cabinet here my CWC notes and I remember writing Albert Camus' The Fall. And I said, well, if this guy who seems really smart, this is a book he reads every year. Uh, and then I, I reread The Fall uh, two days ago, and um, it's really interesting to think about that as a book that he rereads every year because that is a book. That's basically, I think, I think like Calvinists would like that. It's a book about how you're guilty and, and you need to understand that you're guilty. <laughs> and, uh, and it was great. Like, it was really great to read. So I actually think when I finish crime and punishment, I might circle back and, and, and dive back into the fall again. Cause there's parts of it that I want to, I want to think a little bit more about. Mm-hmm. And you're now making me think I need to circle back to like notes from the underground, mm-hmm. which is even though Dostoevsky generally has a penchant for very, very long details, that one is much more succinct. And, and some of these same themes are, are I think, worth revisiting. Absolutely. This is going to be my husband's favorite episode. He <laughs> loves philosophy and he loves Dostoevsky. When we would take road trips, I used to, when, before Lydia was born, I would read out loud from Dostoevsky as we were taking the road trips. So, yeah, good wow, time. That's- amazing erudite road trip reading. Yeah. Yeah. Sam, I, this is maybe a dumb question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. 
of all the things that you read this past week, what was maybe your favorite thing to read? Um, that's a really good question. I've, I, I'm, a, I'm a huge Dostoevsky fan. So like going back into that, cause I feel like I can settle into those books a little bit more. Cause mm-hmm. I just, they're going to take a long time. And I, honestly, the, the, I will say the, maybe not the thing that was most fun to read, but the experience was rereading all of this stuff brought me back to the experience of reading it the first time. So I remember reading crime and punishment sitting in the, uh, the Faribault, Minnesota library. Uh, cause I, you know, I, what I would do, cause I worked evenings. So all my friends worked during the day. So I would have these long summer days with nothing to do. So I would go and just go to the library and I would sit and read in the library for hours before work. Um, so I remember I probably read the bulk of crime and punishment sitting in the library. Uh, and so it, so it brought me back to some of those things. And, and I, I'm a huge, I'm a huge Dostoevsky fan. So that's, uh, I, I go back and forth between crime and punishment and the brothers in terms yeah. of what's, what's my favorite. So I, hear that. I think right now I would say crime and punishment, but I think I would, it depends on the day. Sure. And it's kind of cause you're reading it right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's good. You're in the moment. Yeah. Um, which is good. So what's on your nightstand now? <laughs> well, crime and punishment is right now. Yeah. Um, I, what I don't, what I don't know is what I'm going to read next. Okay. Um, so that's, uh, that's thankfully I have um, a source that I go to when I need to find things to read and it's called bookish at Bethel. Cause you guys are always talking about cool books. So um, sure. I don't know. It depends on what you guys talk about next time. Maybe that will inspire me. Well, I, feel like, I, I do. I do think the Marceau investigation is yeah. great because it reminds me of reading the Penelope, which we talked mm-hmm. about last time. It reminds me of like another author saying, I am going to so actively engage with a piece of classic literature. And I, so I actually really like that. And um, I think there's probably a time in my life where I would have thought that was sort of unfair. Mm-hmm. Like, well, you, what gives you the right to do that? But I think if the book's good. I think I'm okay. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. All right. Well, Carrie, what's on your nightstand? Well, so, I mean, now certainly what will be on my ne- nightstand next is probably the, the Merceau Diaries, because that just sounds really, really uh-huh. great. Um, but I currently am still working through, well, I did um, revisit the Myth of Sisyphus uh-huh. um, this week. So I've been reading, reading that, but that's not super long. Um, and then good old Terry Pratchett is still on my nightstand, still making my way through his um, Jingo. So. Right on. Mm-hmm. And what's on your nightstand? Well, I'm just, of course, thinking, I wonder if we both got the Merceau investigation. Mm-hmm. I've talked about that. That oh, would be man. super fun. Okay. So there's that, I think, because I'm intrigued as well. Because you, like Sam, I also like the Peloponnead and all these other ones where we sort of shift perspective and, and look at it again. I did check out a random book from the library, um, and it's called The Widow of the South by Robert Hicks. It's sort of somewhat based on the true story of a woman who um, is maybe in Tennessee and her plantation site becomes the site of a battle and she's basically living in what becomes a cemetery. So it's, I don't know, I'm cautiously optimistic. I've just read the first few pages of it. Um, I always get nervous when um, there's a novel about the South and there's a white plantation mistress whose good friend happens to be a formerly enslaved black woman. That always makes me feel very uncomfortable. So um, I can't necessarily recommend it yet until I get a little further on. 
We'll have to wait till next week to see whether Except there's Except I that. might be putting it aside if I can right. uh, get myself a copy of the yeah. investigation. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, Sam, I, I think you're my favorite guest. Yes. No offense to all of the other guests that we've had, but um, thanks for joining us today. Absolutely. Anytime. Yeah. And you've been listening to... Bookish at Bethel. <laughs> <laughs>